Good morning. Glad you're able to join us this morning in our series of the Psalms. The, the Psalms paint a picture. We've discovered that over the past few weeks as we've been reading through them. They, they provide a language, give voice to our souls. The Psalms orient us to God, the holy God, the worthy God, the God who created us and is worthy of our praise. I mean, listen how the book of Psalms begins. Happy the man who has not walked in the wicked's counsel, nor in the ways of offenders has stood, nor in the session of scoffers has sat. But the Lord's teaching is his desire, and his teaching he murmurs day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by streams of water that bears fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In times of disorientation, like now, when normality breaks apart, when chaos replaces order, when confusion produces anxiety, the Psalms give expression to our cries and, and agony. I mean, throughout the Psalms, we, we see the, the authors crying, agonizing, help me, answer me. Why have you forsaken me, God? Where are you, God? And then, not only do they speak to our disorientation, they can instruct us, they can reorient us. They can direct us to the one who is joy and life and peace out of the turmoil, out of the doubt. The Psalms direct us to God. We're looking at the 128th Psalm today, and that's one of these that out of disorientation reorients us. It's one of several psalms that has a focus on the home and the family. The emphasis would be on what we might better say domestic life. The psalm 128 is a firm affirmation that, that God can God and God's blessings can be known in our normal, everyday, daily activities, in our homes and in our relationships. Psalm 128 is a short psalm. It's divided into two sections. The first three verses describe those blessings, kind of articulate them in a domestic sense. And then the last three verses are a priestly benediction. It's the it's the word from God, the, the, the word through a priest to bless a home. Let's hear the first section. I'm reading from a new translation, by the way. Uh, this is Robert Alder's uh, uh, translation ju just done last year. Happy all who fear the Lord who walk in his ways. When you eat of the toil of your hands, happy are you, and it is good for you. 
Your wife is like a fruitful vine in the recesses of your house. Your children like young olive trees around your table. Look, for it is thus, that the man is blessed who fears the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion. And may you see Jerusalem's good all the days of your life. And may you see the children of your children. Peace be upon Israel. So it begins with this description of happiness, of blessing. The joyous benefits that come when we, when we revere God. They come when we acknowledge God and worship God as our creator, our, our provider, the one who is worthy of our praise. But reverence of God, this fear of God, is not just abstract. It's not something we state. It's not words that we speak. But it has to be faith in action. It's discovering God's will, discovering God's direction and instructions, and following I like how Max Licato, the the author preacher in San Antonio, describes blessing. He calls blessing, this word that's used throughout the Old Testament and New, as a sacred delight. It's sacred because this blessing, this joy, this happiness is not what we're able to produce or achieve. It's not something we can purchase or create or, or invent. It's certainly not based on any circumstances and situations. Thrills come, thrills go. We are successful. We have mountaintop experiences, but we have valleys and low points. No, sacred, it's sacred because it, only God can provide. Only God can bestow these kind of blessings. And it's a delight. This blessing is a delight. It it satisfies deep within the recesses of our heart and soul. It calms and comforts. It brings hope and purpose, significance. We use the words joy and and peace and hope. A, A joy and a peace that no matter what the circumstances are in life, we're in God's hands. For this, for the psalmist in the 128th Psalm, this sacred delight uh, can be known in our home life. And I'm using the word home life because even though I might say family, we all live in homes. Whether we're single, married, whether we have children or not, whether it's an extended family with multiple generations, we all have a home. And, and God's blessings can be known in our domestic home life. He describes the, the blessing in ordinary, central Uh, well-known, familiar images for the people of Israel. The psalmist uses two images, the vine and the olive tree. The vine provides nourishment, refreshment. The olive tree, oil, not just for cooking, but for all kinds of uses. And, And both the vine and the olive tree are vital to existence, even today. In Israel. They're pivotal not only to life, but to the enjoyment of life. And, and there's fulfillment and satisfaction, the psalmist proclaims, from our own productivity. We will enjoy the, the, the food that our hands produce 
and we'll be happy with it. So, so, so our productivity, our labor has value. We're, it's, it's not a servitude. It's not menial drudgery. But engagement, job, vocation, productivity, all provide, enrich, and signify. And he includes images of, of all of the domestic life, wife and children, and table, even the meals should be occasions of joy and peace and happiness. All of our relationships, all of our actions surrounding homes can be blessed. And at the end of the psalm, the last three verses, he gives a benediction. There's this picture of unbroken joy and blessing that can be ours. Prosperity and peace will endure. And and that blessing extends beyond our own selves. Generation after generation, we will discover God's hand and God's joy. Psalm 128 paints a picture of these blessings, this sacred delight that we can discover in our domestic life and, and situations. It reveals a reality that can be ours. But what are, some of the, what are some of the steps that can be taken to walk into this blessing? What are some of the ways into this reality? How is it that we revere God and, and follow his ways in our homes and families? Another way to ask the question is how can reorientation occur in the disorientation of our current circumstances. Circumstances that involve self-quarantining, stay at home, social distancing, schools closed, travel impossible. And families and homes and individuals are at a, a face with a ragged tension. They're weary, anxious, and stressed. That's always the result of disorientation. When routines and rhythms and conveniences are not only disrupted, but some disappear altogether. And throughout Scripture, we see guidelines, instructions, ways that we are to follow if we revere the Lord that can lead us into blessing, that can restore some of God's sacred delight into our homes and our relationships. One thing we need to do is pay attention to one another. Pay attention to to our loved ones. It's easy to notice if you have children around or if you've raised children. It's easy to notice two basic needs in a child that every person has and never outgrows. The first is the need for for safety, not to be vulnerable, not to be exposed, not to be afraid. And when there's safety, some problems seem to be smaller than they could be. The other is curiosity. It's kind of the the opposite side of safety. We, We all have built into the Imago Dei, the image of God, this desire to be creative, 
that it's, it's, in our, it's out of our ingenuity, our ingenuity and, and out of our talents and abilities, the ability to craft, be artisans of sorts, uh, that we grow, that we find significance, that we make contributions. And, and, and that kind of curiosity means there's a need to explore, to discover, to experiment. And we've all seen in our loved ones and, or in the headlines what happens, the dangers and pitfalls when experimentation gets out of control, when this desire for discovery takes the wrong turn. turn. When we provide safety, a safe haven, fears are subdued. When we establish a secure base, it's possible to, to learn, to explore where harm is minimalized, where guidance and direction are in place. So we pay attention. Philippians, the second chapter, fourth verse says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay. Many a Sunday, someone comes out and says, well, preacher, that was an interesting sermon. What does that mean? Interesting in a positive way, a negative way? How interested were you really? When I went in the ministry years ago, out in the boondocks of Arkansas, there was a retired pastor who was bivocational. Um, he had worked, but he was really a carpenter. He had preached, but he was really a carpenter. And he would come by periodically to see if I was okay, to give me guidance. And I never will forget one time he says, it's not, people don't care how much you know. They want to know how much you care. So you listen, you pay attention. Questions, conversations, cries. But it goes deeper to be interested, that kind of interest, looking after the well-being of one another that Paul instructs in Philippians involves much more than just casual focus of our minds. It, it, it means to love deeply, deeply. How do we love deeply? We're told by Jesus to love one another as he has loved us. Now think about that for a little while. An unconditional love, a sacrificial love, a love that met needs, a love that would not turn away when it was interrupted, a love that took initiative, a love that, that, that was sensitive to others. A, tr a child reveals easily what happens, and it happens to all of us no matter what our age, but a child reveals easily what happens when we pay attention, when we love deeply. When a child is afraid, when there's fear and uncertainty, it activates a response that's called sympathetic nervous system. It, it, our sympathetic nervous system engages and heart beat raises and rises, palms get sweaty, blood pressure increases, breathing becomes shallow and fast. 
and our muscles tense. Now, ever more than ever in our isolation, in the bubbles in which we live now, don't be a fool. Fool. Do not be content. We're, we're to love and pay attention because when we do that, a, a child is different than when they are afraid. When that sympathetic nervous system activates, a child can go to its protector, its parent. It can physically be held and heard, and those tensions dispel. So be diligent, be committed in expressing love and attention to one another during these trying times. And, and one way, especially with the limitations imposed upon us, is exploring the exploration of avenues to enjoy time together, simply to have fun. The 17th, in 17th chapter of Proverbs, the 22nd verse, a cheerful heart is a good medicine. Be creative, be devoted to carving out times, making a goal to spend time together, to enjoy one another, to laugh, to find ways of, of bringing humor into your daily life, to soften the impact of this stressful grind we all feel. These blessings unfold, though, most importantly, when God is at the center of our home, our life, our family. Happy are all who fear the Lord, who walk in his ways, Psalm 128 begins. Psalm 128 is about in the middle of that section of the Psalms that we call the Songs of Ascent, from 120 to 134. And, and most people would associate this psalm with David because it's in that section of the songs of ascent, but it's not. Most people believe that, that, that some people believe that, that this belongs, this psalm, to the governor Nehemiah. You know Nehemiah. After Jerusalem was conquered, the temple was destroyed, the city burned to the ground, the people were captured as slaves and scattered into exile. Nehemiah was the cupbearer of the king of Persia, and God placed on his heart a holy discontent that he should return to his homeland, the homeland of his ancestors, and rebuild a city that had been devastated, ruined. The entire world of the people of God had collapsed. The fabric of their lives had become unraveled. Utter chaos and fear led to disorientation. So this psalm about putting your trust in God and following his way is not some buoyant, naive song about the world, some pie-in-the-sky theology. No, it arises out of painful experience, out of intense heartache, out of a confusion that taught them much more about themselves and much more about God. The collapse, the disorientation in their world was real. But so was God's faithfulness. So was God's ability to reorient them so that they could rebuild and restore the people of God, the faith of the community. In fact, 
Psalm 127 is a companion psalm to 128. And it begins, unless the Lord builds the house, its builders labor in vain. Now, more than ever, when there's so much disorientation around us, we're to center our heart and our homes on God. Like David, we can say the Lord is my shepherd. And we follow the shepherd. We give our heart and lives to Jesus. We believe in prayer. I had a, a good friend, the leading theologian in Methodism, Billy Abraham, who says, you know, the problem with Christians is they don't know how to relax. And what he meant by that is we don't know how to just rest and relax in God's promises and God's comfort. So we believe in prayer and we trust in God one day at a time. Lord God, we seek your blessings in house, in home, in heart. We put you above all else. You are worthy. You are holy. You are the one who can bring us sacred delight in places that seem so broken, in hearts and minds that seem so confused, in relationships that seem so tense. You can bring a peace to overcome our fear, a protection to overcome our uncertainty, a stability as we reorient ourselves and our lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.